Hello there. Welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Vortex. We're so happy you're here. It's Lindsay and Krista. This is a place where we hope to inspire, make you laugh, make you feel less alone. Uh, we talk about everything from spirituality to health and wellness to aliens and quantum physics and more. And more. <laughs> Excited about this one with Dr. Nicole LaPera. She's been on the podcast before, maybe twice. Yeah. And she's just incredible. So this is going to be an amazing discovery conversation with her around her new book, which is How to Meet Yourself. I'm really excited. It is out now. So you can listen to the other episodes with her to wet your whistle, but this one is going to be powerful. Her other book was How to Do the Work. She is founder of the Instagram, The Holistic Psychologist. She has a community and all of that. Yeah, I love her. When I was just digging into her new book, it like yourself and then yourself, how to meet yourself and who the true self is, is something I feel like we've, you know, explored over the years, especially through like a spiritual lens of your soul, your inner being. And yeah, it's just, you know, I love the way in which she approaches her work, makes it incredibly accessible to people. I went to Abraham Hicks recently and just this idea of that inner being. And so often like we're very yeah, we feel so separate from that, you know, or we believe that we're so separate from that and um, have such a hard time listening. So I just like, I love the reminder and being in their presence. I love that you can connect the spirituality element to the therapy element. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting in Nicole's book, how she sections it up, where she talks about how you can meet yourselves because there's different aspects to, to us. You can meet your habit self, your emotional self, and your authentic self. And I think when we talk about the selves, it's like the multiple aspects and the multidimensional mm-hmm. self. And that's yeah. really like the soul, the inner being, as Abraham yeah. says. There's so much different language around, mm-hmm. you know, the soul, higher self, inner being. But I do love how mm-hmm. Abraham has inner being. How, yeah. was, how was seeing her in person? So it was like 700 people about in a room, all different ages, all different races, all different everything. Like I was like, wow, this is really a mix. It's very dialed. You have a countdown as to when she's going to come on. Esther is going to come on. Um, So Esther channels a consciousness mm -hmm. called Abraham Hicks, if anyone isn't familiar. 82. Yeah. She's one of like the OG channels. And she's probably the best channel of our generation. It's it's wild and it's cool to see her evolution with the channeling. Mm. I think at first, you know, it was kind of her voice was a little bit more robotic. Like Joe Dispenza. Yeah, it was just kind of like settling in the body, I think, too. And now you almost can't, you can tell a difference, but it's slight between Esther and when she's channeling Abraham. She comes on, welcomes the audience. She's incredibly funny. Mm. And then she drops in and gets out of the way so Abraham can come through. But what I was surprised about was her eyes were open. So it's it's not this, you know, like, um, what's the other... Starts with Bashar. Bashar, where he, I feel like his eyes mm-hmm. are kind of closed and it's a little uh, He's like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, greetings. Oh. This is Bashar. <laughs> You're like, hello, Bashar. You're like, I'm out of it now. There's something, you know what's a weird thing about me is there's something about when men channel that freaks me out. Mm. I don't know, man. That's a, something that's a problem with me. It's not. Lee, though, it, is Lee like is an actually angel. very different. Yeah, yeah Lee's Lee is so different. light, but there's a few we've been pitched a few different male channels and it's kind of interesting to me. Mm-hmm, totally. This is 100% my opinion, my weird opinion. Yeah, no, totally. It means nothing. She gets out of the way. And then I didn't realize this. 
but Abraham is picking the people that come up. I thought it was going to be her team. So someone raises their hand and usually she, you know, he says like, not you. No, not you. No, not you. You, you know, so there's, and she kind of prefaces it in the beginning. Like, don't be, you know, don't be put off by that. It's just like very specific who must come up. They come up to the stage, they sit in this plush chair and they face her head on. She's facing the audience. They're facing her. And it's very intimate. It's like as close as you and I are, which I didn't expect. I thought I was going to be like, raise your hand, stand up, da, da, da. Yeah. So I actually really enjoyed kind of that intimacy and that closeness. I would say 90% of people that they called on were men. You know, the like the audience would be like, oh, another man like coming up. But I actually really, I don't know. I needed to see that. I think a lot of women needed that because we saw a lot of men on their paths. I would say a lot of conscious men who especially were like older come up. One guy went up there and he's probably in his 50s or 60s. And he's like, Abraham, when I was seven, I remember this. I felt like I was too big to fit in my body. He's like, what was that? And she's like, you are. Or Abraham said, you are. Like the human form is so limited in like what you really are and like what your purpose is so much bigger. So anyway, we went on like a just a diatribe about that. I really enjoyed it. I was taking notes the entire time. I went with my friend Afia and Candice and they were super fans and had gotten into the work of Abraham over the years, reading and then the podcast Infinite Intelligence. I was amazed at the energy that Esther holds. And then I thought about her schedule and she's on ships doing this for a week at a time. She's traveling to Europe. She's traveling probably 48 weeks a year. Mm-hmm. Like no joke. I mean, rich as hell. I know, dude. That's rich what, as hell. That's what I'm thinking I'm about. happy for her. I'm so happy also, for her. Also like sue everyone on YouTube for ripping, <laughs> no. ripping your shit. Dude, it's, cr- it's, it's crazy. crazy how many rip channels there are. It's so crazy. It's so wild. But you can imagine that it probably feeds the other businesses that, you know, people, the books, the lives, yeah. the whatever. I loved it. That sounds amazing. I can't wait to go see Abraham in January. And I can't wait for you all to get this book, How to Meet Yourself by Dr. Nicole LaPera. It is the workbook for self-discovery. Dr. Nicole LaPera is incredibly just transformational in her work and her words. So I think you're really, really going to enjoy this conversation. You're going to enjoy this deep dive. We always love having her on and talking to her about doing the work and about all of these therapy-related topics that have really changed our lives. So enjoy, 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 enjoy. And if you want more of Almost 30, you can listen to Morning Microdose, which is our podcast that just brings the best of the best. It's five to 10 minutes each day. It has no intro, no outro, and it's just the good stuff. Love it. Thank you for listening. Make sure you're subscribed to both of our shows, Almost 30 and Morning Microdose. We appreciate you. And sharing it with a friend is something that we love and really has helped us to grow. So thank you. All right. Enjoy this one and we will see you soon. See you soon. Oh, I'm happy to have you well, here. We all made it. Congrats we fucking all of us. made it. You <laughs> made it, it fucking blew yeah. the fuck up and are just crushing. Yeah, truly. Truly, Is truly. Good for me? Look, you look amazing. Yeah. Skin looks great. Yeah. You look, look beautiful. Doesn't it get better as you get older? Yes. Do you feel yeah. that way? Because it was just your birthday. question. It was. I entered the 40s. 
How does it feel? Great. I think the thing about getting older is you just get more and more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which I think translates like, it's like that internal, that translates that's the external beauty, but also like just energy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I think when I see someone who's like super comfortable with themselves and just enjoying life, but you know, for the most part, I'm like, mm-hmm. beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. With even the passing of your birthday, you know, in your book, you talk about conditioning. So do you think that we get further away from conditioning or we're able to look at our conditioning or how does that play into age and the passage of time? I think depending on how conscious mm-hmm. you become, um, if you're just cycling on the autopilot, I think with age, our habits just become more solid, mm-hmm. more wired in. I do think that somewhere along the way with age sometimes shifts perspectives, the accumulation of experience triggers mm-hmm. moments of consciousness. Then to speak to your point, I think that it could contribute to then feeling a bit more distance, a bit more able to see the past that we're continuing to bring mm-hmm. into our current and giving us, I think, speak to then your point, mm-hmm. um, giving us more comfort in being who we truly are with less opportunities of caring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the ironic part of yeah, like really looking at habits and patterns and parts of ourselves that we haven't given space to be expressed is that with that as challenging as that can be in the moment or in the process that there is this just like deep deep peace on the other side and it's you know it's interesting to think about you and your work And I can imagine that maybe people have a perception that like, you're good. Like you have all the tools, you have it all together, which, which I think comparatively you do. And I'm curious, have there been any surprises along the way where you're like, oh yeah, I didn't know I had that Mm -hmm. habit happening all the time. It's funny. I feel like this has been a theme over the past couple of days, which is how can so many of us who have, you know, evolved, healed, achieved, succeeded in whatever way still on some deep level feel and the language that I'd been thinking about it before this conversation is insecure, unworthy. Like why are those mm-hmm. deep rooted aspects of ourselves, self-doubt mm-hmm. still present? And so to speak to that point, I mean, there's still very many moments where whether it's in my personal life, in my professional life, I have that deep rooted conditioning, that wound of, of unworthiness mm-hmm. and it's kind of musing about it and wondering like, does that, does that go away? Like what is mm-hmm. the process of this? And I think I'm landing on more and more, especially when we have the wounding, we have, I think about it like a spectrum where we have moments where, you know, that wound is, is activated, we're being reactive, we're feeling less than. I think the goal as we age is to spend more and more moments in alignment because I think when we're in alignment with who we really are at our core, each and every one of us is truly worthy, regardless of what the life circumstances or the life we've created mm-hmm. around us Sometimes that isn't a reflection of worthiness, again, coming from that deeper wound, but at our core, I think all of us humans are beyond worthy. And then the goal is to live more moments in that alignment. Do you feel like with some of the things that you work on, and I'm curious about this for myself, do you find any of your things that you've worked on with healing that you feel like good on? You're like, you know what? I think that one, I know we're never done, but do you feel like there's any part of your life that feels complete? that feels like a chapter has closed because sometimes I'm curious about how much we integrate the healing that we need to do into our story and beliefs of who we are. And what I'm curious if we can ever get out of it. I think for me, the chapter, and it's interesting, this 
I reflected on this recently, thinking about how much I identified with being an anxious person for as long as I can remember in childhood, afraid at the night of any bad thing that could happen to myself and my family. And I have moments now of, I would call it agitation and not really anxiety when I'm feeling activated, I'm feeling upset by something. But I think that chapter for me feels really far. Mm -hmm. I can almost not relate, which is even crazy to hear Mm -hmm. myself say this right now to the consistent anxiety that, I mean, it was so much that I was identified as I'm an anxious individual. I never saw Mm -hmm. the possibility of not feeling that way, of healing that. And I think that really speaks to the point and why I profess from the rooftop so often how important the body and the nervous system and and regulating it is. Because I really do attribute that Mm -hmm. to all of those consistent, even now, daily habits I've created that are just part of my daily life that keep my body safely regulated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For those that don't know the connection between the nervous system and mental health, can we just do a little review? Oh, please. I mean, the nervous system really runs everything. Mm -hmm. I think it's so overlooked. I mean, I'm even thinking back in my training and it's always very interested in the brain. So I took a lot of neuroscience classes. And of course, I'm imagining I was, you know, Mm. met with that information that we have a brain and a spinal cord. But beyond that, I really can't remember it being emphasized as integrally and foundationally important as it is. I mean, it controls everything from the way we think to our emotional resilience or ability to tolerate and deal with our emotions to how we're showing up either reactively from those emotional places or calm, grounded, responsibly to the world around us. And it really governs our day-to-day life and the large majority of us. And as I was just sharing, myself included, our nervous systems are dysregulated from overwhelming environments where we felt consistently under-supported. And unfortunately, so many of us are calling the fallout, the habits that we've adapted to live with this dysregulation. We we identify with, we call, I'm an anxious individual, I'm a depressed individual. And similar to me, we don't see the way out because we don't understand that while for some of us that might have been part of our identity for as long as it, we can remember, that the underlying cause or the root of it is this nervous system dysregulation. So mm-hmm. in my opinion, it's absolutely foundational. It's mm-hmm. still a part of my daily, mm-hmm. day-to-day habits. It's just tending to the physical body that I'm living mm-hmm. in, making sure I'm giving it the nutrients it needs, making sure that I'm resting it the amount it needs with rest, stopping stillness was something that my nervous system never allowed me to do in the past. It felt very unsafe, making sure that I though create those moments of rest and of movement. Mm-hmm. And for the nervous system, what are some of the nutrients that you can really look for, people can think about supporting themselves with? And then what are some of the practices that they can do. And then just to be clear with our audience, like what is the goal with the nervous system? What is the state that they should be seeking to have their nervous system at? And when is it okay for it to be heightened? And when is it okay to be balanced? Yeah, really, really great question. I'm going to start with the end. Mm -hmm. Um, The ideal state, I mean, we are wired to be calm, to -hmm. be grounded, to be connected, to be curious. All of the things Mm -hmm. that I'm imagining maybe listeners don't feel Mm -hmm. very often at all. I know back referencing that anxious individual I used to be. Those are never things, even though I would profess from the rooftops, throwing my peace signs, how much I want it. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. all I ever wanted was peace and calm and freedom and ease of life. And yet I couldn't ever find my way to that. So those are indicators of of a calm, balanced nervous system. And when we're not feeling that way, it's usually because our nervous system, our neuroception or that senses that happens outside of our awareness has detected a threat. 
Um, and when we feel threatened, our whole body is going to mobilize into action. Our breathing will change. It'll quicken. It'll get us ready to fight, flee, deal with that, that threaded hand. Our heart rate will quicken. Our muscles will begin to tense. I mean, even think about when we're fighting mm-hmm. someone or imagining we're fighting someone or when we're fleeing, think about how your body feels. And those are usually the indicators that that system, the sympathetic system, the system that deals with fighting or fleeing the threatening event is activated. And then there's another system that happens when we can't overcome the threat, when we can't escape the threat. A lot of times this applies to childhood when we're Mm -hmm. physically dependent and we can't leave our nervous system. When we think of animals playing dead, almost the opposite in terms of our breath, our heart, and our muscles. Our breathing will slow. Some of us might even hold our breath or not be able mm-hmm. to even detect our breath at all. Our heart rate will not quicken. It will be very slow. It will be very faint. As opposed to having my muscles ready for action, I might feel so kind of fatigued in my muscles. Like I can't move. My energy might be completely low. Mm-hmm. For me, that really describes in childhood not being able to overcome, escape the consistent stress that I lived with living in a city with active threats in my environment daily, living with my mom and my sister who struggled with chronic health issues, always fearing bad things happening. Before long, I I shut down. I call it my Mm. spaceship. I became so detached and I didn't know the symptoms, the disconnection I was feeling was a result of my nervous system. So when I discovered the nervous system existed and, oh my gosh, I don't have a brain issue when I started feigning like I once feared, I possibly can connect with people. I felt so disconnected. It wasn't something wrong with me. It was how my nervous system adapted. So mm. backtracking to the how do we mm. begin to heal? What nutrients do we need? I got really committed to being very conscious about the food I was intaking. And the best choice we can make our, for ourselves, if it's of course accessible to us, understanding that it always isn't accessible to mm-hmm. us, depending on where you live, is eating whole nutrient-dense foods, Mm -hmm. eating foods that aren't laden with chemicals and toxicity, um, making sure that we're getting the nutrients we need. And that sounds so simplistic, but the large majority of the food that many of us are eating don't have nutrients in it. Particularly important nutrients are the B vitamins, Mm -hmm. making sure our brain, our nervous system literally needs those vitamins to function. And a lot of the foods that we're eating don't have those included. So again, being that meant for me, just taking awareness at those moments when I'm making those food choices and subbing in wholer foods or making sure I'm getting my B vitamins. And for me, that literally began to create that stability, give my cells the nutrients that probably weren't getting for a very long time. Okay. If you're spending time with your loved ones this holiday, which I assume many of you are, chances are you're going to hear a lot of stories. <laughs> we know that family member that always tells stories or repeats stories. And some of them you love to hear, others you've heard a million times, but it's just overall very, very endearing and sweet. But have you ever wanted to help your loved ones document those timeless stories? Because I don't know, we just don't keep track of those stories like perhaps our ancestors did. And so It can be very challenging to do so, but I'm really excited because we found a brand that does this, StoryWorth. They make it fun and easy. This is literally how anyone can write a book about their life. So if you have, say, a grandparent who tells stories all the time about their life, this would be a perfect gift, a basically a little collaborative project you could do with them. Every week, StoryWorth will email your loved one a single life-related question that you pick from their collection, like what's the bravest thing you've ever done or what's the farthest you've traveled. All they have to do is reply with a story. 
And after a year, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories, memories, and even any photos into an exquisite hardcover book, creating a valued keepsake. How amazing. Millions of stories have already been told with StoryWorth because they make it super, super simple. So get started with your loved one for the holidays. And before you know it, you'll both be cherishing those timeless stories for generations to come. Such a great thing to pass on through your family. Help your family share their story this holiday season with StoryWorth. Go to storyworth.com slash almost 30 today, and you're going to save $10 on your first purchase. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H.com slash almost 30 to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash almost 30. Just quickly on the part where you were talking about animals playing dead and then people in certain circumstances, they can almost like have a slowed heart rate. And I've had that experience through a traumatic experience in my life. And I think that happens a lot with sexual trauma cases. Mm -hmm. Is that what happens when people are getting molested or abused where it's like they... A lot of times I'll, I mean, simplifying it, we leave our bodies Mm -hmm. so that because again, in our body, especially when there's sexual trauma or abuse that's happening, our body is the least safe place to be. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's our body that's being violated. Mm -hmm. So by going somewhere else in our consciousness, um, that creates at least a psychological protection. Though the issue always becomes, even if we weren't fully present and maybe fully remember or having fully consciously experienced the pain, the trauma of what happened, I think some of us then falsely think, oh, well, we're fine, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't, I don't really remember it. I must be okay now. And the reality of it is, and I talked with Dr. Gabor about mm-hmm. this, Monte, we, our body will always, even if we can't recall the details of it or the pain that I was feeling when I was actively being violated physically, our body is remembering. We're remembering in the feelings around similar events in the in the future that we'll experience. We're remembering the way that we dealt with it, making us more likely then to detach ourselves or to dissociate or to disconnect the next time we have a similar stressor. Mm-hmm. For those that, you know, have experience with different forms and levels of abuse and perhaps don't have a clear memory, might not even have the words to describe, but to your point, it lives in their body and it's to some extent running a lot of uh, their day-to-day life and how they relate and not relate. So I'm curious how people can connect with those that they feel safe with in a way what is that process as they are healing and as they are kind of uncovering um, the points at which need tending? I guess in that process, how do you relate? Because I can imagine it's it's incredibly lonely as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, to speak to the point as being someone who was very generally limited memory about my childhood, and I do get asked often, like, do we have to know the details? How important is it mm-hmm. to go back and totally. unearth, you know, kind of the what happened and really have that clarity? And some of us don't have access. I mean, I am someone who no matter how hard I try, how many pictures I look at of my childhood, I don't have those kind of flashes or that movie screen of what my life was like. And a large part of it was because, like I just described, I was so disconnected and one of the things that happens as our stress becomes more consistent and goes up with cortisol being released throughout our body, it actually, the more cortisol running through our bloodstream, the more a particular part of our brain called the hippocampus 
is affected. And the hippocampus is where we store our memories. So there's a very real physiological reason. In addition to, like we were just describing with you, Chris, I'm not fully present. If we're not fully present for something, it's going to be really hard to reference back Mm -hmm. that particular movie screen image because our consciousness was elsewhere. And then if we couple that with all of the cortisol of this stressful experience that's raging through our bloodstream, now we actually physiologically can't remember because our hippocampus is impacted. Mm. So to simply answer your question, we're still carrying the memory in our emotional responses, sometimes in our sense of self that we've now created, the beliefs that we have, how we cope, how we show up, how we relate to others in our relationships. Mm. So the best place then to start is we don't actually have to go back, unearth the trauma, view it again, and you know have a different emotional reaction. Mm-hmm. We can just start And the best place to start is to become really aware. And the first section of my new workbook is all about physical habits with an emphasis on the nervous system. So really becoming conscious of these different sensations and indicators that my nervous system is actually Mm -hmm. dysregulated in our body. And then from there, we can create the safety to begin to unpack Mm -hmm. the deeper feelings that are active in that moment. Because when we're feeling threatened, we're usually feeling something else deeper. We're feeling unworthy. We're feeling angry. We're feeling grief. We're feeling sad. We're feeling something else. And then that could give us the path forward. Because mm-hmm. I think in, in the world, it's like, I want to heal. I want to, you know, people have these ideas of what they want to do and how they want to live. And it has been the work of where I'm like, oh, I want to have intimate relationships. Or I want to have, be able to speak confidently through conflict. Or I want to be able to mm-hmm. navigate conf- conflict and be in my body. Because, you know, before I would, It's like, as soon as something happens, I'm like, bye. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I would just be like, oh my God, what do I have to do to make this end? Couldn't couldn't really stick up for myself or else I'd be like a fucking viper. And so in, I had to pull back and be like, okay, what's going on here? Like, I'm not doing this. What is the thing? And it was the nervous system and unlocking the ability to be in my body and regulate my nervous system in those moments that has helped me. So I think this is so important. I'm so glad we're talking about this because it really is the part that unlocks so many different aspects of healing and healthy relationships and a healthy life. So what are some other ways that you that you see the nervous system playing a role in people's lives that you serve? I mean, again, it, it is directing all of our reactions. And I think relationships is typically the, the immediate next mm-hmm. conversation. I mean, to speak to your point, the way you're describing it, I become reactive, right? I, I kind of do these things and our intimate, close, even friendship, platonic relationships are usually where we meet feelings. We have interpersonal conflict. We're trying to navigate two different perspectives and, you know, negotiate what choices we're going to make to make sure that we're honoring each individual. And that's usually then the space where our nervous system is impacting how we're showing up outside even of those moments of reactivity when we're screaming and yelling at someone we love and then feeling so shameful after the Mm -hmm. fact or we're icing them and not speaking and giving the silent treatment. We feel bad after the fact. I think it's the more consistent ways too that we've adapted. Mm. Some of us have taken on ways of being. We've become a people pleaser, a yes person, fawning, serving someone else to keep ourselves safe before the conflict even exists. Mm. So I think that's another really foundational piece of the impact of our nervous systems because our nervous system back when we're children actually needed a separate Mm. nervous system to co-regulate with. Mm. We need an attuned caregiver We need someone else to help us create safety. And when we don't have that, we're going to adapt. We're going to find a way to create some semblance of safety the best way that we can. So now if we're trying to relate to another person, 
not only does it become more likely that we kind of fall back into those habitual patterns, I mean, even saying the word like disconnection, I said that earlier, our ability to even connect with another individual is really connected to our nervous system. And mm-hmm. if we're not in our body, to speak to your point, Chris, of how important it is, if we're not in our body, we're not, if we're not connected to our own self, our own heart, we're not going to be able to give love or receive love or connection from another person. Yet, I think for many of us, and I've done this throughout my 20s, pointed the finger at these emotionally unavailable, not deep people that are the problem in my relationship, not understanding that I wasn't available for emotional Mm. connection. I wasn't making myself vulnerable Mm -hmm. by sharing my deeper feelings because that felt too unsafe. I was demanding someone come close and hug me and I had my hand out, Mm -hmm. not allowing them. So- what does that look like? Because mm-hmm. I, I relate and I just yeah. want to, what, like, what would that look like in examples so not, people can really understand? Not allowing someone to, to come close. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do that to this day. Mm-hmm. I actually had, I lost my mother a little over a year ago now. Mm-hmm. I celebrated the one year of her death in May. Mm-hmm. So around her death anniversary, I started to have feelings coming up. And a couple things, it looks like for me, it looks like first mind reading. I have the idea that my partners around me should just know without me telling them that I'm, obviously I'm upset. Of course, my mom's death day is next week. Why wouldn't you Mm. know I'm upset right now? And at the same time, if I'm being honest and observing myself while I'm anticipating or hoping that they're reading my mind, I'm not acting or or in a behavioral way asking for help. I'm actually being passive aggressive, commenting about how they're not available. And sometimes I'm hiding away in my room, not allowing myself to be supported. Mm. So again, we have to really be honest, I think, sometimes with ourselves, mm. And oftentimes the role we're playing when we're not having our needs met in a relationship is something unconscious that we're doing. We might very deeply want that connection in that moment, just like I very deeply wanted them to know that I wanted a hug or them to come mm. sit next to me in my grieving feeling. I had to at some point take the responsibility for I wasn't telling them that I needed support and I wasn't making myself available. I was actually making myself as my one partner, Lolly, likes to call it a prickly pear mm-hmm. <laughs> and not allowing them anywhere near me. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, the honesty piece, being honest with yourself, I feel like has been such a huge and simple part <laughs> of yes. like my journey where um, I think because we're like, there's a barrage of information and tools coming our way. And I'm like, yeah, we have all the tools, we got all the resources. <laughs> And then like that piece of, wait wait a second, have I carved out time to, yeah, be in conversation with myself and just self-reflect a little bit and see where the incongruencies are and see where the misalignments are with what I'm saying I want mm-hmm. and what I'm actually doing, what I'm, you know, saying I desire and what I'm actually communicating, say, with my my partner. So what would you recommend to people if they are, you know, beginning their journey of being honest with themselves? Are there practices mm. that they can do? I mean, honesty is is difficult because mm. there's a reason why we're not outright being direct, saying the thing. There's a vulnerability and usually there's coupled with that vulnerability of fear. I usually kind of all roads often lead back to some fear that I won't remain safely connected to you or this relationship mm. if you come to know this honest thing. And That even kind of traces back to difficulty being honest with ourselves, seeing these aspects and these sides of ourselves. So I think compassion is really, really important and patience because 
our lack of honesty has had a protective function. For many of us, it was the only way that we could like armor ourselves against really deep-rooted pain. So as simple as it is, just be honest, it is a, a much more complicated, complex process. Mm-hmm. And first, it means just being conscious to those misalignments, like you were describing, those discrepancies, and then giving ourselves grace mm-hmm. as we begin to be more honest. Because probably what's going to happen is that will be an unfamiliar, vulnerable experience. And anytime something is new, if we just want to simplify what unfamiliar is, a new choice I'm making. So I might make the choice to say, hey, partners, I need some support right now. As simple and right mm-hmm. logical as it is, that that's a good choice, Nicole, I've made for myself. My subconscious mind is only going to register that as a new choice. Yeah. And in the newness could be the possible threat. It could be that reaction that I'm fearing, that person actually leaving me. So extending ourselves the grace and compassion to know that this will be a difficult new choice that we're making. We're challenging all of these protective habits that I've become so used to. So as simple as it is, it's, it's, it is quite a journey on the mm-hmm. other side. Mm-hmm. I w- I'm curious how you would suggest for people to differentiate. Like, I think sometimes it's like, I'm being honest with myself and they're actually just being really critical and judgmental. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, what is that for people? Yes. And how can they kind of catch themselves or know the difference between actually being honest and reflective? Mm-hmm. Where you're like, I notice I'm sitting in my room. You're like, oh man. and And then being like, actually just critical to themselves? Yes. Really, really great question. Um, honesty is objective mm-hmm. statements. Usually self-criticism is is not objective. It's mm-hmm. negative. It has a tinge of meanness. I mean, some of us can be outwardly mm-hmm. quite, quite terrible to ourselves. So I think the first way, you know, of, of making that shift is to just be aware of the language that we're using when we're criticizing ourselves and or when we're observing or witnessing mm-hmm. a habit and shifting into more objective language, right? Things just are as I see them. Mm-hmm. I don't have to assign a meaning to mm-hmm. them. I can just learn how to see them for what they are. And I think another kind of confusion piece along the lines of self-critical is hyper self-focus. I think a lot of us think mistakenly that being in constant self-analysis is being conscious. That is just another Mm. form of thinking, of being in Mm. our thinking mind. Even though it's a self-focus where I'm constantly scanning myself and my behaviors and maybe even criticizing them, I'm in a different part of my my brain when I'm doing Mm. that. I'm still in the thinking, analyzing part of my brain. Consciousness, the way I like to describe it, like a metaphor, is kind of the overhead lights on in a room um, where I'm not thinking, I'm observing the thoughts, maybe even the self-critical ones, because I do want to be clear. Many listeners who especially know we have a critical voice in our head aren't going to be able to stop that voice. Now that we've heard this conversation and we're going to start being nice, that critical voice is still going to be there at the ready, the next moment, ready to criticize you. Mm. So again, we're going to set an expectation up for ourselves that we're not going to be able to meet if we think, oh, I'm just going to shut down this critical voice and never have a critical thought again. Absolutely not. We can become conscious. Mm. Oh, my lights are on overhead and I see this critical thought coming at my way and I can refocus my attention somewhere else. Mm. Because getting caught in, whether it's the critical thought or the self-analyzing thought, is still getting caught in a thought. Mm. Is it worth getting to know that critical voice and why they exist or like the origins? I think it can be helpful. I think anytime we have repeated voices in our head, um, we actually just opened up our, my self-healer circle opened Mm. up enrollment. So we had a whole Mm. new batch of members come Mm. in and 
um, the first this month that they um, enrolled with, we did a version of self-witnessing, the ability to be in Mm -hmm. witness. And on the first workshop, so many members were so struck by being offered the information that they're not the voice in their head. Mm -hmm. Some of us are so merged with these voices that have been narrating our life for decades or our entire lifetime that we think that's us, our intuition, you know, kind of we mm-hmm. us speaking or being in the world and it's not. So yeah. oftentimes we can identify and not necessarily have to, but it can be really helpful, especially if we do know, oh, that's the voice of a parent or mm-hmm. a critical teacher. The media, mm-hmm. the media appear. Mm-hmm. I mean, really anything and everything, my church, my religious mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many things can become the voice in our head. And I think the the value there is giving us the ability to separate. If we're able to identify who or what was giving us these ideas, then we can separate ourselves from it. Mm-hmm. Though, again, if we don't know who the voice in our head is, we don't have to. Um, we can still create that separation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was like a tipping point where you, yeah, yeah, I felt like I got to a point where eventually, you know, through various forms of, of doing the work, is that voice becomes like, huh? You know, all of a sudden you hear every once in a while, it kind of rears its head and you're like, huh? Like, Uh what is that? And it it feels so um, just like pointed and almost like foreign, you Mm. know, at a point, which is nice. And it almost becomes its own entity that I can be, you know, even naming it. I didn't name it, but I've known people to name it where it's like, oh, there's Becky again. Sorry, Mm -hmm. Becky's. But, um, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's like oh, that's, that isn't me. That's mm-hmm. something completely separate that sometimes gets a little agitated or triggered. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to kind of track that, that tipping point and that it's possible for anyone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We can even group in there too, outside of voices, just the theme, the narrative, as mm-hmm. I say, right? We tend to recycle the same meanings for events. And the most common one that my subconscious recycles that dates back to my childhood when I didn't have emotionally attuned parents was how I'm not considered, how all of the moments where specifically my emotional needs weren't met, my very developmentally immature brain couldn't make sense that this was related not to me at all, but to my parents with their own trauma, the circumstances and stress that they were living under. I assumed it was because I wasn't worthy of being considered or of having my needs considered. So we can even expand the conversation for everyone who's not relating to I don't necessarily have a critical voice or mm-hmm. there's not really one thing that I like am judgmental of. I would be surprised. I want to meet them. I, I, I would very be surprised <laughs> I, would, too, I don't think they discovered it yet. Maybe <laughs> the, the yeah. unicorn, as I yes. call them. The unicorn. <laughs> so in addition to that, we have the repetitive narratives that we're making yeah. meaning of our events around. Mm. Wow. And in the case of just going to that example of the child and the parent. So the child is basically assuming it is me that is the problem and issue. And then the child basically can in turn have a few different reactions. And the reactions could be perfectionism, people-pleasing, avoidance. Or what are some of the, what's like the myriad of, of things that the child might do? And is there an indicator of why they choose which one? Really any adaptation. So anything from squashing, suppressing my needs in general. So I'm someone, and this was very much kind of the route I took, seeing the stress in the home. I decided I was going to be the not the less stressful, you know, mm-hmm. entity. I wasn't, and I was at that time succeeding in school and in sports. So speaking of mm-hmm. perfectionism, achievement, I just embodied, okay, if I just keep showing up in ways that are validated and accepted by my family mm-hmm. and even celebrate it and squash everything else that's happening in my life, 
I can continue to not be a stressful component of this family system, increasing the likelihood that I'm connected to or that my needs get met. So that can look like everything from squashing our our actual thoughts, our beliefs, our feelings to changing the way that we're showing up, morphing into a people pleaser. I put everyone else first as opposed to me or the million other things that we do. A yes man where I'm a fawner and I don't say no to anyone because I think everyone else comes first. I wanted to ask about the truth thing. So you were talking about truth and honesty. And I was thinking about this recently around truth and the concept of truth and the concept of people speaking their truth. And I was thinking about it in regards to a relation, like relationships. And I've had friendships where people be like, I need to speak my truth. And it actually feels unprocessed and it feels like projection and it feels judgmental. And then I do have had the experience where I do need, where maybe they do, or I do, or someone else needs to speak their truth. And it actually is very like integrated and nice. And so what is that experience? Because I feel like sometimes people mask really painful things by saying it's my truth. But I do believe that people actually have a truth that needs to be shared. So is it because one is processed and one's not? Or what is your thought um, when I'm speaking about that? I really love, and I was actually thinking about this recently too, like where is the line between what is the need to say everything and how can we say it? And, Mm -hmm. you know, and having gone through evolutions in my friendships, I was actually speaking on on my own podcast, Mm -hmm. Selfular Soundboard recently, Mm -hmm. um, about lying. And in as I was beginning to separate from some friendships, how I wasn't able at that time several years ago to be fully direct and honest because, you know, saying, hey, you're not living in alignment with me anymore felt mean. Um, so instead of saying that and instead of lying, I opted to say nothing at all. And then like we were kind of musing about lies and where's the line mm-hmm. and how do we speak a truth? How do we know a truth that needs to be spoken? And how can we do so in a way that can limit the hurt or the mm-hmm. impact? And even can we? for someone else. And I think to to kind of distinguish, mm-hmm. possibly in the moments where it felt like a projection might have been a moment where the emotion was still alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we can set ourselves up to deliver a truth, regardless if it's going to be taken well or not, when we're in a calm, balanced nervous system, when I'm able to deliver my message assertively, directly, and calmly, as opposed to emotionally. Another thing that I think is really important is exploring what my intention is for this communication before I make it. And I do this with myself quite often. Am I sharing this with you as an intention to change or to elicit a reaction in you, maybe even apology, whatever it might be? Mm. Or am I sharing this because it's important for me to say this for me, regardless of what you do with it? And I think if we take that latter approach that this is something that I need to get off my chest, the truth I need to speak, this is, you know, what it is for me and I need to get it out there regardless of how you react. I think that's going to shift us into that calmer, balanced, you know, state of communication. Then I'm saying this to elicit Mm -hmm. something because then we're just putting ourselves into another disempowered Mm -hmm. state where I'm depending on you to give me something to feel better. I'm not actually just speaking my truth because it's important that I do. Yeah. Just on that, to go further on how much information to share, because I think that's a curious one because as someone that needs to know, I just really like to understand things. I'm very much, this is why I do what I do. So there's a part of me sometimes that's like, I kind of want to know if you're like, Hey, you know, you're just not vibing with my alignment or, you know, we're not in alignment anymore. 
that actually isn't enough for me. I'm kind of like, tell me more. So there's that, it's a little masochistic. <laughs> and there's the part of me that's like, I want to change for you. You know, that's like that. Mm. And then there's the part of me that wants to know because it feels good to understand. So what do we think that balance is just kind of as an exploration of what do we share with people when we're speaking our truth and how much of it's just more surface? I love, I was giggling when you were saying that because Lolly, um, my partner, is very much like, need to know. Yes. And I'll sometimes get off phone calls and I'll just deliver like the general message yeah. of the phone call and she'll have a million different details. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I didn't ask. You didn't ask that. I'm like, mm, no, She Virgo? I'm a Virgo. You're a Virgo. Okay, yes, yes. She's a Cancer. Cancer, okay. She's very into curious, into mm-hmm. knowing, and I'm very much like I respect what you want to tell me. And also that's, not that's Lindsay. Yeah. I'm like, what's <laughs> happening? It's water signs. Yes. I'm like, what's the energy? <laughs> I if I'm, I'm like, on- let's ground. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm honest though, there might be part of me too that's an avoidance of. Mm-hmm. If I'm totally, totally unpacking that, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, not asking because the part of me that doesn't want to know is a part of me that doesn't want to deal with how I might feel. Yes, and also I no. don't, I don't like to because I don't like to dump. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't like to have that feeling of like being out of control with how I'm expressing or like kind of yeah. just doing it to do it. So yeah, but yeah, for sure avoidance. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like borderline deeply respecting people's process and where they're at and what they want to share and then also avoidance. Right. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. ours is like wanting to change for people because we want to know yeah. and also wanting to understand. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Right. Tightrope. And I think ultimately if we're going to be the person in communication or the or the communicator, it's up to us to decide our comfort level ultimately with how much we want to share. And then as a listener, whether you're on the curious side of the spectrum or the avoidance side of the spectrum, whatever we want to call it, it's completely appropriate to ask. And it's also completely appropriate then for that ask to be denied. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For it to be something that that person isn't more comfortable fully explaining in a deeper way or going into it. And to speak to your point, I think that there can be value in asking those questions and getting clarity um, whether or not it's just to increase our own self-awareness. I mean, relationships are the mirrors to us. They really do challenge us, give us different perspectives. So while it might be a painful perspective you're hearing from this loved one or this friend, it could be a helpful one because they are offering you a vantage point mm-hmm. outside of yourself. So mm-hmm. having that curiosity, learning to ask the questions, even if you might not love how it feels to receive the answers, can give us that clarity. Mm-hmm. I had a really cool experience the other day. I was home alone. I had just received my shipment of Shrimu Not Cheese, and I decided to create a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful cheese board with different crackers and fruits. And I just had it as like my little midday snack while I was doing work. And I put it on like a gorgeous wooden cheese board. It was actually... Uh, it was kind of spiritual, to be honest. Um, I am so excited to introduce you to Shrimu. It is a plant-based artisanal not cheese collection. It is pure. When I say pure, the intention is pure. The ingredients are pure. And it is delicious on a whole other level. I didn't know not cheese. This is non-dairy could be this delicious. And their mission is to create the best cheese in the world uh, via an artisanal black label, not cheese food offering. That is just, it, it is rich. It is lavish. It nourishes you. And if you're a cheese lover, 
You're going to absolutely love this. The founder is Srimati. You might know her as Julie Pyatt. She has been on the podcast, an incredible force of love and intentionality and consciousness and a wonderful teacher. And she is devoted to this offering. And you really feel the sacred intention when you eat this cheese. I swear to you, if it sounds crazy, just get some and you'll feel it. Uh, Shrimu is a global mission of awakening. It is a frequency of a mother's love, full of unconditional love, acceptance, and celebration for all the unique life forms that make up a human family. Shrimu is universal. It is paleo, plant-rich, gluten-free, dairy-free, raw. And I know that everyone in your family is going to find a Shrimu flavor for them. So I wanted to tell you about my favorites. So I really, really love the Gold Alchemy. So, oh my goodness. Um, this is, this like brings back memories flavors of childhood, um, ham and cheese sandwiches, you know what I mean? It is inspired by a smoked Gouda and it's, oh, the smoky flavor is so beautiful. It has turmeric and black pepper. Y'all, you're going to love this. Um, the base is organic cashews. Uh, it has organic coconut oil. It has Irish moss, organic turmeric. Yo, one of my favorite favorites. Absolutely. I also really, really love the birdie. Um, so this is by, inspired by a camembert infused with truffle. Yeah, I'm a truffle gal. This one was so delicious. I put it on some seed crackers. Oh, mwah, chef's kiss. So head to shrimu.com. I'm going to spell it out for you. S-R- imu.com. Use the code almost 30 for 20% off all single orders and 20% off the first four orders when they sign up for a subscription. Okay, that's you. If you sign up for a subscription, you'll get 20% off your first four orders. I say that's worth it, baby. They freeze beautifully. If you're going out of town or have extra Shrimu, you can freeze the wheels and then thaw them later, which is what I did. When you subscribe, you could choose different frequencies on your subscription. You can pause your subscription. Um, it's really, really flexible. So again, shrimu.com, S-R-I-M-U.com. Use the code ALMOST30 for 20% off all single orders and 20% off the first four orders when you sign up for a subscription. Have at it. Enjoy. Did you know that the drugs we take to manage period cramps were invented in the 1950s and exclusively tested on men? <laughs> what? It's literally outrageous that there hasn't been more innovation when it comes to periods. Deloon is changing that with dietitian formulated solutions that relieve our symptoms while actually supporting cycle health. Because our cycles affect every aspect of our wellness period pain, mood, sleep, skin, metabolism, energy, and more. I, I don't know about you, but you know, some, some months I'm like, oh my gosh, like everything has to stop, but it really can't because I'm experiencing, you know, really bad cramps or headaches, fatigue, you, bloating, you name it. I've really tried a lot of things and while I think I've gotten most of my symptoms under control, it doesn't mean they still don't happen and kind of disrupt my 
flow. So I was really excited to find Deloon and recommend it to a lot of my friends. And they have been absolutely loving it. I was talking to a friend the other day that experienced like really, really bad periods, cramps, and just all these symptoms. And she was so happy uh, to try Deloon. She's noticed that her symptoms have subsided. They don't last as long. They're not as intense. And she can really just be in her life, which is really nice. So Deloon Nutritional Solutions are dietitian formulated to work with your cycle health, not against it. It'll help you all month long while also relieving your cramps and PMS during your period. Deloon creates effective drug-free supplements for period cramps, PMS, and optimal cycle health. So you can get the relief you need naturally, which I'm all about, and start feeling like your best self. So if you want high-potency, fast-acting supplements for your period cramps, PMS, and really getting your cycle health in its prime top condition, like 92% of their customers report that relief, try Deloon. Leave bad periods behind and start the new year off with 23% off. Go to cyclehealth.com slash almost 30 and use the code almost 30 to get 23% off plus free shipping. If Deloon isn't the right match for you, your money back is guaranteed. That's cyclehealth.com slash almost 30 and use the code almost 30 to get 23% off plus free shipping. My hair is growing like a weed, an absolute weed. I'm loving it. I'm going to grow it for a while. I just feel in the mood. And what's been helping so much is the growth complex from Hair Love. You've heard us talk about Hair Love. It is an incredible brand that is really helping you to have the healthiest hair possible. Not only looks good, but truly is healthy, healthy hair. So the Growth Complex is their flagship daily vitamin formulated with only eight of the highest quality, most bioavailable science-backed ingredients to grow longer, healthier, thicker hair and only two capsules a day. Normally there's like supplements I've taken in the past with like a million capsules. And I'm like, oh my, I can't do this every day. Only two capsules a day. The superstar ingredient is Cynotine HNS, which uh, is the most bioavailable form of keratin and is clinically proven to reduce shedding and extend the amount of time your hair stays in the growth phase and reduces the amount of time it spends in the shedding phase. How freaking phenomenal. They've done their research. This is backed by science over there at Hair Love. And I just love all of their products. You're going to have fun checking them out. I actually recently got their silk pillowcase because I was noticing that my hair was just like so dry and gross after sleeping. It's like, what the heck is up? So this silk pillowcase is not only good for my skin, but it's great for my hair too. So check out their other products. Again, the growth complex is what I am taking and it's working like a dream. Go to hairlove.com. You're going to use the code almost 30 for 20% off all non-subscription items. Oh my God, I'm excited for you because this has not happened. 20% off is a huge discount. Head on over to hairlove.com. Use the code almost30 for 20% off all non-subscription items. Is there like particular language that you found to be helpful in your relationships or just in, you know, your work with with your community that assists in whether it's sharing truth? It could be, I guess, creating a boundary, but more so sharing truth and really 
being more of oneself around the people that they love or maybe that they're seeing every day. Because I think that can be harder than you think. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, communication can be such a tool and also mm-hmm. such a, a hindrance if we don't have the language mm-hmm. or if we're using language that isn't helpful to be on the receiving end of. And I think the, the number one major shift is being really careful with how much you're using accusatory or you-focused language because it's really easy, especially if you're addressing an interpersonal issue where there's mm-hmm. is another you involved. Yeah. It's so easy to enter that communication by saying what you do and the problem you are and the changes I need from you. Um, you'll always hear me suggest the focus to be changed to I language because mm-hmm. even if in your opinion the person is playing a role that you would like them to modify or change, the way you're going to get to that change is by changing the way you're showing up, mm. by putting up the boundary, by not having, you know, that conversation or not engaging with that topic or by dealing with emotions in a different way. So I think that is the number one shift and also avoiding, as I'm sure many have heard this suggestion as well, the global language of always and nevers. Mm-hmm. While it can feel like, and the reality might be, this person does this more often than this other thing that you would prefer mm-hmm. them to do. It can feel really disempowering and diminishing to be mm-hmm. cast in that more identity-focused assessment of you're never capable of doing this other thing. And I think, again, it can feel very always and very overwhelming and like something you do need to change and never happen again. But again, I think if we just shift that language, mm-hmm. it can be received a little bit better. Because that's the thing. We think that while there is so much power in the words that the communicator is saying, the outcome of the communication is really going to also hinder on was that received by this other person? Were they able to hear what you were saying? Yeah, that's huge. It's like thinking about that in communication. So, because that helps bring the intention in. Is your intention for actual change? Is your intention for them to actually hear what you're saying? Because if you're kind of coming in hot with, I just need to speak my truth, and that's like an offloading mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. with no desire for actual change. Yes. And something around, I'm all about accountability and people taking responsibility and being co-creators of their life. And then I'm also curious about a lot of people are empaths or feelers and they're someone that are so focused on their them being the problem or the issue that I'm curious about the balance between someone that eventually becomes, makes everything their problem. And then they're in cycles with like narcissists or people that just kind of don't care about their feelings or experience at all. So how do you know when it's you or when it's them? I think there's, there's a way we can navigate taking responsibility because we are playing a part in whatever experience we're having, whatever relationship we're having, and also allowing the other person to be a factor in it as well. Right, Taking radical responsibility or any form of responsibility doesn't mean allowing, condoning any sort of behavior. And I think sometimes we do mistakenly believe that to be true in mm-hmm. the case of the empath. Like this idea that, well, I just feel and I identify with this to a large extent. I've always kind of been able to or I've taken the stance of understanding. When someone is treating me poorly, and I've had many different people in relationships treat me poorly in different ways, the way I made sense of it, I wasn't able to advocate and say, I don't care where this came from. Like, this isn't okay for me. I squashed down it not being okay for me because I understood that this was a hurt person who was reacting from a hurt space. And 
it wasn't necessarily a, about me at all. That, of course, though, wasn't a healthy, helpful way for me to navigate it because in that moment of condoning or enabling this behavior, I was continuing to keep myself in an unsafe situation. Mm -hmm. So that kind of nuanced space to be is I can take full responsibility for how I'm showing up, acknowledging that I've showed up in this cycle for however long. It is not okay for me. I can even hold space understanding that you are a wounded human as well, and you're in a reactive place defending your own wound in that moment that you're hurting me. And I can still make the choice to create a limit for myself, mm. to engage less or to remove myself from the active conflict or to end my my participation in that relationship entirely. And I think sometimes we take this very black and white idea of what responsibility is. Like, I'm just going to shoulder all of it. And that means I just have to carry about my life and just allow anyone to treat me anyway. And that mm. isn't, in my opinion, the most responsible thing to do. Mm. I want to talk about the new book, Workbook. Mm. I find it to be so important and, and very just smart um, <laughs> on your part and just in thinking about how people do the work where there's so much consumption of, okay, so like self-diagnosing, going to therapy, kind of learning all of these things and having this information on paper or just in their little knowledge bank. But then it's like, okay, how do we actually put this into practice and how do we start to make progress when it comes to our healing? So can you talk a little bit about what inspired this workbook? I mean, this workbook began its inspiration back when I was doing client work, um, which really inspired me to shift the way that I think about humans and healing and our journey when I would kind of see over and over again exactly what you're describing. So much increasing awareness with people mm -hmm. that I would see week after week, some for years um, before I left mm -hmm. my practice. I was clocking multiple years with the same client. And I would find as almost sometimes the self-awareness went up, the frustration of coming back week after week and having to report to your therapist that, oh, you know, you did that same thing again, or mm -hmm. that new habit didn't actually stick. You're right back where you started. And so to speak to that point, knowing, reading books, having tools only takes us as far as actually implementing those tools. So as I began to rethink and kind of develop and create how to do the work and this, you know, kind of holistic healing journey, um, while I didn't make an intention of making it a practical, every chapter ends with a practical application, whether it's journaling prompts or different tools or exercises, I knew that it was incomplete there was so much more I could share in terms of outlying or giving a roadmap of a healing journey. So the idea of a workbook was like kind of planted. And then obviously I was given the opportunity to create it. And I was I'm really excited. And just like I think about how to do the work, my hope is that this is a, a, a piece of, of a map in the sense that people can go back to, that people can live with, that people can take their time progressing through. And I set it up very much like even my own journey, really building that foundational reconnection to the body because it is so foundationally important. And one of the big reasons why so many people were stuck repeating old habits was because all of those habits were hardwired into their neurology, into their brain, and into their nervous system reactivity. Mm -hmm. So until we learn how to not only reconnect with our body, but create safety in our body, it's going to be really hard 
right? To begin to do and identify our inner child wounds and really begin to create or cultivate emotional resilience, which is the ability to tolerate emotional experiences Mm -hmm. and still remain responsive to the choices that we're making. And I imagine, because the workbook is entitled How to Meet Yourself, the last section is How to Meet Your Authentic Self. And I imagine so many humans who pick up that book are going to want to go right to section three, but really progressing, peeling that that onion layering back is so integrally important. Because if we're not safe in our body, if we don't have an awareness of how to regulate our emotions to keep us safe in our body, we're never going to be able to reconnect with that deeper, intuitive us space that holds our passion, our creativity, our purpose, our imagination, our ability to connect with others and with the world around us. So mm-hmm. giving people the roadmap, understanding that it's going to be a different journey for each person. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a different amount of time, but really wanting people to have that accessible because the large majority in the self-healer circle, even over 50% are international members. So I'm very attentive and aware of where everyone is living in this world and how inaccessible some of these tools, these concepts, these, you know, exercises are. So giving people the opportunity and hoping that the workbook now gets translated into as many Mm -hmm. languages as possible, that even if you don't, if you live in a, a nook of the world that doesn't have access to treatment or to, you know, these tools or these conversations, if you can have access to this book, mm. you can now begin your own healing journey. Mm-hmm. The capital S self or the, because I thought it was interesting that mm-hmm. how to meet yourself. I feel like I know this concept as like the soul, but how would you identify the self? Yeah, I think I, authentic self, soul, essence, mm-hmm. whatever the language is. I think at this point, even if we don't want to give it one of those words sure. that I think can be a little more colored and religious mm-hmm. tradition, or yeah. at least a lot of us can mm-hmm. get caught up in that. And that was me for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Anything with religion, I couldn't steer far away from. Mm-hmm. I, I feel very different now, yeah. though I am very mm-hmm. sensitive to words like soul can mm-hmm. be challenging for people. Sure. However, I think even those people are waking up to the reality that there is something more, there is something, whether or not we can define mm-hmm. it, what it is, energy, mm-hmm. entity, something, mm-hmm. essence, mm-hmm. that's kind of directing or that makes us who we are in our uniqueness. That's what I believe. And it was yeah. very intentional of totally. separating those mm-hmm. words and keeping or putting that self with that capital S. Because for me in the workbook, at least it represents the authentic mm-hmm. nature. And I I locate that in our heart space, mm-hmm. dropping in to really attune to those messages. Mm-hmm. And so the book is more practical, from what we've read, was more, it's more practical. It's like exercises kind of walking you through rather than what I liked about it was like less in the head and more in like the body and the heart and the energy of things. Yes. It's very practical focused. Um, I do when I intro a new concept. I mean, the book starts out with describing your habit self Mm -hmm. and all of these cyclical thoughts, Mm -hmm. feelings, and you know, coping mechanisms that we've developed. And I will, you know, take a page to explain what that is so that we're all on the same page, though then the rest of the focus of the workbook is practical application, actual daily tools to begin to utilize that day moving forward to to begin the healing journey, ultimately culminating in that space of the authentic self and then giving us the tools to remain connected as we shift change, as our bodies shift and change and circumstances and relationships around us shift and change. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you've met your authentic self? I'm meeting. Yeah. And I'm still discovering. And I think life 
human journey, at least, is a process of discovery. I think this is one of those areas that like to frustrate most of us where there is no done. I don't know if you ask me when I'm into my 80s, assuming I'm still going to be on a circuit like this, and you girls will too, and we'll be doing (laughs) the show. I don't know if I would even say then that like, yes, I fully know this being because hopefully if I live into my 90s, maybe that being shifts and changes. I mean, I think that's just one of the uniqueness of our human is that we are evolving creatures. I think that's also one of the challenges of our humanity. Um, Though I think in moments, um, especially even now when I'm teaching, when I'm talking, when I'm, you know, communicating around some of these ideas, I very much feel like I'm in my flow state, which I think is an Mm. indicator that I'm in my authentic being, you know, time and space falls away and I'm just really connected to myself and the conversation around me. So I definitely have more moments that I spend in connection to my authentic self. So I, I see um, that that being, and I'm able to embody that being more often than not. Though again, this idea of have I met and can I define what it is? I I don't know if that ever comes. Yes, yeah. I and agree. I think that's like the heartbreak. I think uh, some people experience. I've experienced that in the past, where it's like like unable to accept the mystery of who we are mm-hmm. too, and the ever unfolding mm-hmm. nature of who we are, and really just wanting to know. Yeah, like, yeah. Who am yes. I? So I can tell the world. So yes. I can express to the world. So I can put it on Instagram. So I can put it on Instagram <laughs> in my bio. Yes. You know, it's like, I think that's, you know, a beautiful point at which, you know, when you can accept or understand that it is ever changing and unfolding. And that's kind of the beauty yeah. of like being, being a human being. It's interesting because I, I relate to you in that sense of like, this is when I feel in flow and this mm-hmm. is when I feel in my, in my authentic self. And then there's that part of me that similarly to you had that didn't have emotional attunement or connection. And I'm like, this is when I'm connected and attuned. Mm. And so there's that little girl part of me that's also like, I am connected and attuned and people are listening to me and people Mm. think what I'm saying is worthwhile and valuable. Mm. So there's also that little girl that's like feeling healed by the experience of it all, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, such a beautiful thing. Yeah. The flow state, I feel like, all, all three of us, four of us, Tommy, mm-hmm. know what it feels like to be flow state. In, in flow state. And I'm sure a lot of people listening know as well. And there can also be a lot of frustration when a majority of the time you're not. Are there ways in which you, you uh, in particular, get into your flow state? Mm-hmm. I think it begins with that daily commitment to be connected to myself, which actually even years in, into these awarenesses and these shifts and these changes is still a challenge because mm-hmm. I have that overachiever perfectionistic part of me, which in particular loves to achieve through work, through my endless to-do list. And I met by that pivotal choice every morning, even where it do I pick up my phone and start my emails knowing that I have a deadline next week and I'm busy and I need to get work done. Or for me, it's the morning time that I typically create space for me and reconnecting with myself, taking care of my body, having some quiet moments. Mm -hmm. Or do I make a choice to engage in those habits? The more I build that foundation, and I think sometimes, again, we look for the tips for that acute moment. How in this moment in time right now can I shift into flow? Mm -hmm. If we're not taking care of ourselves and connected with ourselves in all other moments, it's not a light switch. We're not going to be able to just zoop into our my flow zone. And I notice that when I'm not sleeping well, when I'm not eating well, I have less moments, even if I am performing throughout that day at work, I'm speaking on podcasts, I might not be fully in flow. It doesn't feel as good internally 
as when I've taken care of myself, when I'm in a safe, calm, regulated body, mm. then in that moment, I'm able to enter that. And I think, again, so many of us, whether we're talking about breath work, oh, I learned deep belly breathing, so I'm going to do it the next time I'm in a conflict. And that's the only time I'm going to do it. Chances are when you're in that conflict the next time, you're A, not going to remember because your emotional brain is completely taken over and the logical part of you, you have no access to that. And your body is so dysregulated by that point that you're not going to be able to create. So unfortunately, the bearer of the bad news is always, it's about the consistency of these habits. So the authentic self section, again, very intentionally coming at the end, really exemplifies how important those daily habits are so that you feel safe enough to have those moments of connection with yourself so that you can even attune to how you feel the most you when you're just able to be who you are. When does that happen? How does that happen? And can you facilitate that happening more? And you do that by doing everything you're doing consistently throughout the day. Yeah. Beautiful. Book is out now, everybody. So I'm always so thankful you come you come to us. Yeah, <laughs> same. You do, you, I love include us on love it. it. I look forward to it every time. Yeah. So. You all can get the book in our show notes and we will be sharing it on social and it's really powerful. It really felt like that soulful side of you, which is really beautiful. Mm. Very actionable stuff that you guys are familiar with and that you're not. So enjoy. Thank you so much, Dr. Nicole LaPera. Again, the book is How to Meet Yourself and it's available now. You can listen to her on Almost 30 if you want to just search her name, Almost 30, to find the other episodes. It's also in the show notes, which can be found at almost30.com, along with our partner codes, more information about us, our courses, our programs, and our amazing community membership where we do monthly healings, monthly community calls, we do workshops, we give away free things. It's so great. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Until the next one. Be well, be amazing, be yourself. Be yourself. <laughs> let it let it hang out. Love you guys. See you next time. Bye. Bye.